This week, for the Dharma Talk, I get to talk about me. <laughs> like, what, what, what's new, Mike? Every talk you do, you're talking about you. In the uh, early part of the 13th century, uh, the founder of the Soto Zen school, Dogen, began writing a book uh, that would essentially encapsulate some of the, the most important parts of his teachings, of what come to know, be known as the Soto Zen school of, of thought, of Buddhist thought, psychology, and practice. It's known as the Shobogenzo. And one of the first chapters of the Shobogenzo, there's a couple of introductory chapters of one on sort of who he is and why he wants to do this with a big long like frequently asked questions section <laughs> about meditation and things like that. And then there's a section about how to meditate. And then the third is this uh, chapter called the Genjo Koan. And uh, it's, it's not long. It's not a long chapter. If you want to read it, there are, there are translations you can find easily on the internet. But it's, it's not an easy read. I, I like to think of it if, if, uh, if you want to turn your brain into a lava lamp for a little bit, you know, read some of the Shobogenzo, particularly the Genjo Koan chapter. But it essentially, essentially, what, it's com what it comes down to is uh, how to, um, it's about realizing the ultimate nature of reality uh, in our everyday living. And but when I say something like the ultimate nature of reality, from an, a Zen perspective, what that has to do with is seeing, uh, realizing the, the absolute perspective and the relative perspective and in their unity. Uh, we, from a four directions, what, what we often talk about in, in, our, in our practice is seeing the, our true self, oneness, the whole thing manifested is me, ego self Mike. Like there's this little ego self Mike, and then there's this idea of oneness, right? And being able to see both of those unified, really, right? And that's what Genjo Koan, his essay, Genjo Koan, is, is about. If I can really, really, truly dumb it down, and forgive me for those who may see this and be like, that's, that's much more than that. Well, I'm just, go easy on me. All right. Uh, in our own practice, in our own school here, we, we sometimes use the word Genjo Koan to uh, refer to something that we are working through in our own life. We're using, we're taking that word Koan, like a Zen Koan, a, a riddle or, or a case, something like, does a dog have Buddha nature? And the master Joshua says, Moo. Moo means no, but he doesn't really mean no, does he? can't possibly, you know, what does that mean? It's a Zen koan, you work it out and you maybe work with the master. But a Genjo koan is something that we bump into in life, like something life throws at us. It could be an, an issue or a problem or a, a fight or something that we're working over in our minds over and over and trying to get some clarity about. Uh, and in this context, Genjo Koan, I'd like to share an experience that uh, I encountered a year to the day of recording this very talk. I know it's a year to the day because I took a picture of the turtle I'm going to talk about, and that picture was dated June 8th, 2021. So 
I live and you can see kind of outside the windows here, we're surrounded by, by some forest. And <clears throat> our backyard ends in a, in a very, very steep hill. I want to say 60 feet or so of a cliff-like drop, right? You don't want to go near it, right? You go right out, you know, go right over it. And should you go over it, you're going to land square in, in a street. It's a back road, but it's a busy back road and cars kind of go way fast on it. And it's, it's bad news. But just on the other side of that street is the Cana de Gwinnett Creek. One day, a year ago, exactly to the day, there I found a humongo snapping turtle in our backyard. And I mean, you know, a, 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 I don't know, my gosh. I mean, can you see my in perspective to my head <laughs> how big the, the carapace was, the, the shell was? She was huge. I call her a she because I understand since then that snapping turtles probably made, she was probably making her way up into my yard to do something with her eggs, either lay them or, or something. <laughs> uh, and so she was in our backyard and I'm looking at her and thinking, wow, she is a beautiful animal and a huge, you know, big snapper, these big, huge clawed feet, incredible. And after marveling about her for a little while, I realized, oh man, she's obviously making her way back down to the creek. That's cool. But then I thought, oh, how is she going to get down? I mean, sure, there's a, I'm sure she's navigated, you know, this kind of train before, but there's that huge, like, super busy road. Like, there's no way she's going to make it. I've got to help this. I've got to help her. I felt compelled, this compulsion to help her. But the more I stood there looking at her, the more I thought, how are you going to help her? How are you going to help this huge, I mean, it's a snapping turtle. They'll take, they will take your finger right off. You know, if you don't know how to handle a snapping turtle, and I definitely didn't, you know, you, you could be setting yourself up for something. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, maybe I'll just grab her by the, you know, kind of back there. Yeah, well, look at the claws on her. Like, you know, if she reaches around a claw, she's going to slice my hand open. I, anyway, I want to help, but mm, maybe it's not so, not such a good idea for me to help. And besides, you know, who am I to say that she really is heading back to the creek right now anyway, right? So I decided in the end, she made her way up here. I'm sure she'll make her way back. It's, you know, let her just go up, up you know, up on her way and, you know, nice to meet you. Good luck. A couple hours later, I started to really second guess my decision. Come on, dude, you know she's heading to the creek. You know that that road is ridiculously busy. You should have helped. So I ran back out there to see if I could find some kind of trace of her. You know, they, they're slow, right? Couple hours, she might still be somewhere in the vicinity. And if so, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna do something to help her. Well, alas, no trace of her, she's gone. A little bit later that day, I had to run to the store and I found myself driving on this very back road. And much to my, um, uh, what's the word? I, I, there was a dead turtle. And it was a huge turtle, and it was right, it was right there, right? And uh, it had recently been struck by a car, and um, I, like I, like just a moment ago, I couldn't find the emotion that describes it. Just like plummeting guilt. 
like, oh my, oh my gosh. And, and it wasn't the reaction you might have to like a tragedy. It's, it was the reaction you might have to ha having learned that you cr committed a crime. You know, that I immediately saw it and my immediate thought was, Mike, you did that. You killed that, Mike, you killed that turtle. You did this. Like you knew where she was going. You knew it was gonna be trouble. And exactly as you predicted, She's dead, and you did it. And, oh my gosh, it was, you know, among, among everything else that might be going on in life, right? Like, I'm not thinking about, you know, my responsibility to a turtle. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's the only thing that's in my head. Like, you, you killed a turtle. You killed this big, beautiful animal, and you knew it. You knew it, Mike. It took some days and much wonderful help from my wife and uh, friends and family to sort of <laughs> coach me to uh, coach me off the off the ledge of of feeling wholly responsible for what happened to this turtle. <clears throat> and I was on I was on a trail kind of near our, our house, sort of through the woods, and kind of meets up with the creek at one point. I'm sort of reflecting on the whole thing, and I'm kind of at this place where I'm starting to let go of, of feeling wholly responsible for it. And, and I think to myself, you know, what would you do if, you, if it happened again? Would you change anything? Would you do anything? And it's sort of a question that plagued me. Here's the Genjo Kwan. So what are you going to do now, Mike? You know, what, what now? And I say it's a question, but it's not. I knew exactly what I would do. I knew it. I would help. Next time, I would absolutely help. I'd find my, my thickest work gloves. One of my best pals is a, is a biology professor who specializes in reptiles. He's a herpetology professor at Dickinson College. <laughs> Dr. Scott Bobeck, he's one of my best pals. He could, he, he's always, you know, posting pictures of him handling, you know, freaking rattlesnakes and the largest, you know, angriest looking snapping turtles you've ever seen. Like, it's nothing like, hey, look at this guy. He could teach me how to do it, right? Easily, he'd be happy to do it. I'll be prepared. I will never let this happen again. I, no more snapping turtles are gonna die in my backyard, not on my watch. I, I will be prepared the next time this happens. And just as I like had this resolve of all crazy things on my way back to you know home, about a mile away from my home, there's a snapping turtle on on a on a trail. Now it's a mile away, so there's nothing to nothing I have to do. <laughs> I have no responsibility at this point, right? But I'm like, wow, look at that! Wow, she's beautiful. It's not it's not as big as the one in my yard, but it was pretty big still. But I think, wow, that's, isn't that something? I just kind of bow to her and go, yeah, good luck, best to you. Not but a hundred feet down the path, another one. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it's not crazy rare to, to see a snapping turtle around here, but I mean, a within a hundred feet of each other, like a couple of big ones, wow, that, that's pretty interesting. When I saw the third snapping turtle on my walk home, I started to frankly panic. Like, what is, what is going on here? Why am I, you know, just, what's happening and they're all kind of headed we're a bit away but we're they're all headed in the general direction of my house and i started to quicken my pace getting to get home like 
what is happening? What am I going to find? I started to have images in my head of, you know, a dozen or 30 or 40 or 50, maybe hundreds, maybe hundreds upon hundreds of huge snapping turtles all in my yard, all right here, all at the, at the top of this crazy steep hill, all trying to make their way to the creek, all waiting for me. That was the Ginjo Koan. What are you gonna do? All right, great, you committed to, sure, you see another one in your yard, <laughs> you grab your gloves, you learn how to pick one up, you, you save it. What, what about, if, what if you can't? What if you can't save them all? What if, what does it mean to save a snapping turtle? Anyway, it certainly didn't ask me to save it. And if I save a snapping turtle, does it, what about all this, the fish I save by not saving a snapping turtle, right? All of a sudden, like the questions get really crazy. This, this sort of quote unquote simple dilemma of do, how do I pick up a snapping turtle so I can save it turns into something much more. Turns into how, what do, what's my responsibility to help turtles? Do I help all turtles? What if I can't? Do I dedicate my life to helping turtles? And of course, you know, this turns, turns from talking about helping turtles to helping things other than turtles really fast, right? What's my responsibility to help anybody or anything? How do I dedicate my life? How do I choose? Do I help, you know, children with cancer? Do I help uh, animals? Do I help people suffering from abuse? Do I help turtles? Like, what, what's my responsibility? And of course, as you can see right away, the, here's where the Genjo Koan really turns on you. It's not so much about turtles anymore. It's not so much about helping people anymore. It's about me. Who am I in this? What does it mean to help? What, is it, what does it mean to be a good person? Is a good person someone that helps? Is a good person, what if I don't? What if I fail? What if I have a good, I want to help, but I, but I fail, right? I make a mistake. What does it mean? Here is what the Genjo Koan means. When we talk about the true nature of reality, or what it means to express oneness through, the, through little old tiny me, you know, the great vastness of oneness through little old tiny Mike, you know, what, is that, what does that mean? Is it about what I do? Or is it about something else? I believe it's about something else. I believe that processing something like this mindfully, of course, uh, I inevitably run into, if you, if you study our system of mindfulness with us, you learn, and we've talked about it in, in talks over and over, there's this world of doing and having that's very much of the ego self. And then there's a world of being, and that's very much in the absolute, in the true self world. And the marriage of the two is that unification that I mentioned earlier, right? But in our, 
And when we think about living mindfully, what we, what we try to do as best as we can is find ourselves over in this place of being and allowing that to help us decide to decide what I should do. Now, in, in all of the story that I have relayed so far about the turtle, I'm firmly over in this world of doing. What should I do? And what does it mean if I don't do it? What kind of person am I? Or worse, what kind of terrible person am I if I fail at it, right? But over in, from my, the perspective of my true self, this place of being, this place of, of present wonder at the fact that I'm here at all, and that I get to do anything at all, if I'm connected to that, what I do is informed from a much different kind of experience. And all of a sudden, whether I do or, well, I do something or whether I don't, is informed with a whole different kind of quality. Now, I, it's a waste of time, really, for me to, to talk about what I, all right, so, so what would you do, Mike? What, what would you do? Because it's only me working out my own Genjo Koan. You, you may find yourself at a completely different place if you, if you were to play out a similar, similar perspective. I would only offer that, like I mentioned, most of my crippling anxiety and guilt and kind of nightmare of, of, the, of the turtle was firmly rested in this ego self cycle of suffering that has to do with what I do equating to what kind of person I am. Whereas if I can find myself over here, think reoriented to my true self, where, there, where there's nothing that has to happen, then everything starts to look a little bit differently. And I might say that from, from my true self, I help turtles when I can. And from my true self, I sometimes don't help turtles. And there's spaciousness there where that's okay. And it leaks into all of those other things. I help when I can. I help when I'm able. And I, I first and foremost, help myself, help my quality of being, help my own head, have compassion for the turtle, but, if, but for me <laughs> for, and for all, anybody who, who suffers, who wants to help but feels that they can't or feels that they somehow failed. Compassion. We talked about the four uh, awakened abodes, Brad, uh, Osho Brad and I a couple of weeks ago, the Brahma Viharas, and I talked about in one of the talks that I do that from this place of awakened action arises a sense of inner peace with whatever comes. And out of that inner peace, love emerges for turtles, for, for you, for me. And when it encounters something happy, joy naturally arises. When it encounters something sad like or painful, like a, a turtle, unfortunately meeting its demise, compassion arises. It's about living from this place over here, this place of being connected to 
the reality of the world as it, exactly as it is. Turtle's gonna turtle. A turtle is going to, even if I moved that turtle, and, and I got it to the creek, there's nothing to say that that turtle isn't, wasn't gonna just turn right around and like he forgot something at the top of the hill at my backyard here, or she did, and get hit anyway, right? I, there's only so much I can take responsibility for. I, I only need to take responsibility if I have absolute control, right? I, and what can I absolutely control? Like, I have the only one thing, my intent, my own being inside. It's the only thing. The, less, the rest, I can begin to let go. So, there was the Genjo Koan of the Turtles. I hope it was helpful, and may you, in your own working out of your own Genjo Koan in your life, may you, um, may you find answers that feel uh, clear in your head and helpful in your hearts, and uh, result in action that, that is compassionate and ultimately helpful.